Lexi Arthur was born and raised in Nashville. A mountain girl at heart, Lexi was into hiking, fishing, amongst other outdoor activities during her childhood. She also played a lot of sports, tennis, basketball, golf, to name a few. Coming from a long line of entrepreneurs, including her parents, Lexi pursued a business degree from Appalachian University. After graduation, she took a brief hiatus to travel to Europe with her older brother. Naturally inclined to learning and curiosity, she wanted to also pursue an MBA or a law degree. Now what triggered her career into government relations? What role did mentors have in her career? How does she feel about running her own government relations agency? Here is Lexi Arthur on the next episode of State Lobbying Heroes. Hi, Lexi. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hey, Deepak. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with what is the one skill you think every lobbyist should possess? That's a good question. I would say a lobbyist needs to be reliable. Okay. What is the one myth or misconception about lobbying? <laughs> that we are evil. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. What would you be if you weren't a lobbyist? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. Um, I, d I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Um, I can kind of dive into that more, I'm sure, in some of your future questions, but I honestly have, I have no idea. No problem. What is your favorite movie or TV show? Probably The Office. Oh, okay, great. I can relate to that too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any role models in your life? Yes, I would say... Um, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of role models and mentors. Um, I've, I think just naturally, I've always looked up to my parents um, for multiple reasons, but they kind of continue to act as a compass in my life and uh, just general role models and, you know, how they've lived their life and, and how they continue to live their lives. What inspires or motivates you to be doing what you're doing? I really like to help people. And that's something, you know, especially as I've tried to determine what my career should be and should look like, something that's always kind of motivated me and guiding and has guided me is how I can help people and how I can kind of live my best life in a way that I think um, closely aligns with what I'm here on earth to be doing. And so I would say, generally speaking, as cliche as it may sound, just to really help people. Perfect. With that, let's dig into your past. Did you grow up here in North Carolina? Can you talk us a little bit about your childhood? Yes, yes. So I grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, in the mountains of, of our beautiful state. And I was born and raised in Asheville. And um, I went to Appalachian State. So I'm a mountain girl at heart. And uh, then I ended up moving to Raleigh after graduating. Um, and in terms of my childhood, um, I have an older brother and uh, just kind of, you know, grew up, I guess, in somewhat of a stereotypical mountain life of spending a lot of time outside and, you know, hiking and camping and fly fishing and skeet shooting and all of that. Um, tried to play as many sports as I could. So I grew up playing tennis and basketball and golf. 
And uh, yeah. That's good. And did you have any glimpses of uh, you being interested in politics at all at that time? So in politics, yes, in terms of lobbying, I honestly did not, I was not, I was not very familiar with this profession, especially living in Asheville and, you know, not being super familiar with what we would call now as the Raleigh bubble. And so growing up, you know, around our dinner table, um, speaking of politics was a fairly common theme, whereas I know a lot of my friends and their families talking about politics was kind of a no-no. Um, but my father was pretty politically involved, not for his entire life, but especially when he became an adult. And so I would say that, you know, just through those conversations alone, that kind of molded me and my interest in politics and how politics influences people's lives and businesses and the economy. And so, you know, I grew up going to some political fundraisers and then in college I was involved in, in helping with some campaigns up in Boone and the Western part of the state. Um, so I would say in hindsight, that certainly is a glimpse as to how I, you know, one of the factors that got me to where I am now. But back then I, I had no idea what that was going to lead to really. Yeah. And um, after your school or in high school, were you actively involved in any, any of the student body organizations? <laughs> Actually, no. Um, I was, I was, had my eyes kind of focused on sports and, um, you know, obviously academics. Um, I would say that a lot of, you know, kind of a lot of my, um, my desire to debate and stuff like that more came in like my personal relationships and, you know, always welcoming a healthy political debate, which I'm sure a lot of my friends, you know, kind of drove them nuts. Um, but, you know, of course I went to a lot of the debates and, you know, it's kind of active, um, as an outsider and, and watching other people partake in student body, student body government and all that. But I also went to a very small school. Um, I had about 200 students graduate from my high school. And so, you, you know, we are all a pretty close-knit community. And so it's, it's not as though I needed to join that in order just to be involved in those certain people. So I, I would say, you know, even though I was not really engaged in terms of, of student body government roles in school. I kind of took that outside of school and applied that elsewhere. So what happened after high school? I see that you picked bachelors of science in BSBA. So how yes. did you choose that? So um, I was one of those people where, you know, my father always told me sometimes in life you find out what you don't, or excuse me, you find out what you do like by finding out what you don't like. And so to a certain degree, that's kind of, that was my strategy. So, you know, I took a lot of different types of classes. I was very interested in psychology, political science, of course. Um, and I had always been interested in business. And, you know, in hindsight, I think that some of that was because of watching my parents run their own businesses. And I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and just kind of, being part of some of those businesses and hearing stories about my grandparents and, you know, the companies that, that they started and they ran trickling down to my parents. That was something I was always fascinated by. And so it was kind of just a natural fit to pursue a business degree. And unlike a lot of my peers um, in college, you know, a lot of, a lot of, of my friends knew, okay, well, I'm going to be a finance major. I'm going to go into banking or I'm going to do this or that. And they knew exactly what plan they were going to take. 
I knew I was interested in marketing. I knew I was interested in management and especially entrepreneurship. So I had a double major with a concentration in entrepreneurship. And, you know, I would say that, again, in hindsight, you know, of course, hindsight's 2020. Looking back, I see now how my interest in politics and then in policy and that combined with my and my passion in business and entrepreneurship, those are kind of aligned to come together and exactly where I am now. So, you know, leading up to it, I had no clue where, where my path was, was going or was taking me, but I, you know, I like to say, well, God knew exactly what he was doing on, you know, picking these interests and kind of leading me down this path to where I am now. Okay. And, and BSBA, what does that stand for? So that stands for um, Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. Interesting. And um, looking back, do you think like getting that degree has helped you shape uh, yourself as a better lobbyist? I do, um, especially in especially in the sense that a lot of the accounts that I represent now, in addition to some of my former employers and you know those interests that I represented, I think that a lot of well, most of them had to do with business interests. And so because I could see things from different perspectives, especially among the business community, because of a lot of my prior experiences with jobs and all of that, um, I think that my knowledge and you know, my academic experience really aligned with that. Um, and so that's something that I'm certainly grateful for, um, you know, both with marketing and management and entrepreneurship, I think a lot of those courses really, for me, came to fruition where I could apply a lot of those concepts and, and um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of different things that I learned in those classes to what I'm doing today. And after you got your bachelor's degree, did you ever think of getting a, a master's degree or anything <laughs> like that or a law degree? I did actually several times. Um, I spent a long time considering getting my law degree. Um, my husband was especially very supportive of that idea because apparently how much I like to debate about things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually took the LSAT and very seriously considered going to law school. But then I realized that I did not want that to take away from all the experience and relationships that I was being able to build right now in my career. And I kind of had to weigh the options. And I spoke to a lot of people that are lobbyists and are attorneys and that are not lobbyists and that are attorneys and everyone in between. And for the most part, the feedback that I got was, you know, we highly recommend that you don't go to law school unless you intend to practice law. And I also considered going back to get my MBA. Um, I'm, I'm a naturally curious person. I'm definitely a learner. And for me, you know, going back to get my MBA would have been, I think, beneficial in many ways. But, you know, I think in terms of how it could help my career, I feel like being able to continue to form these relationships that I'm, that I'm forming right now and kind of pursue this career to me right now, where I am on my career line, it kind of outweighs the benefits that I would get with my MBA and taking, taking away from what I'm doing right now. Interesting. So after you got your bachelor's degree, what was your first stint? So technically it was going off to Europe. Okay. <laughs> um, again, at this point in my life, I, I did not know what my next step was. Um, so my brother and I traveled to Europe for a little while 
And then when we came back, um, it was kind of, you know, I got down to the grindstone. Um, at the time, I wasn't actually sure that I was going to come back from Europe so soon. I had a couple of opportunities over there, decided that I was kind of antsy to get back and, and start my career. And so when I got back, um, I had several interviews, had a few job offers um, in, in Asheville and kind of around the state. And I decided to pursue an internship with a state representative in Raleigh. And so I started that the year after I graduated. And um, I spent a, I believe it was a long session. I can't remember if it was a long session or a short session as an intern at the General Assembly. And so that was really kind of my first step into the world of the General Assembly. Interesting. So how did you apply for that? I mean, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not, I'm trying to map after you got a degree in BSPA, um, you must have been looking for positions in marketing or, <laughs> like, you know, something else, like how mm -hmm. you apply for the internship. So... Um, I'm sure, especially with a lot of the interviews that you've done by now, I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say that this, this industry is very relationship-based. And I heard about the internship through a family friend who um, works, works in the general, or excuse me, in the government relations field in Raleigh. And so I heard about it from her and I thought, well, you know, that seems very interesting. I haven't spent that much time in Raleigh, but certainly seems like something that would be interesting to pursue. And so it was kind of a leap of faith. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, you know, it was really just a matter of, of knowing somebody that knows somebody. Interesting. And what were the responsibilities you had as an intern there? So a lot of it was, you know, working with the representative to draft newsletters, constituent letters, um, constituent feedback, um, communicating with lobbyists and liaisons, members of the general assembly, um, you know, a lot of. I would say kind of a lot of desk work, but of course, all of these were kind of building blocks into what was at the time I didn't know, but what was to come next for me. So it was, it was really a great way to gain a lot of the internal knowledge of how everything works at the General Assembly and how bills are passed and, you know, to really form the relationships with other legislative staff and with lobbyists and with the legislators themselves. And would you say, looking back, do you think that's the first step everyone who wants to get into this field should do? I would say that it depends on, I would say it depends on a lot of things. A, I would say it depends on the person's background and experience and if they know exactly what they want to do, if they know they want to go into policy or if they think they might want to go, you know, into um, more of like a legislative a legislative assistant role, or maybe they know that they want to go work for an association. You know, they, they may, at this point in their lives, where they are now, they might have a lot more knowledge about this industry than I did. And so I think it depends, but I certainly think that it does not hurt to, you know, especially if they're not really sure where to start, to take that first step to try to get their foot in the door at the General Assembly to kind of learn how everything works and gain those relationships, um, both inside and outside of the General Assembly. So how long did you do that? So I did that for, let's see, I think a little less than a year, maybe eight months or so. Okay. And what happened after that? I see that you are a millennial <laughs> market ambassador, right? So, yes. So I had an opportunity um, to work for Anheuser-Busch InBev, so AB InBev, and it was kind of, it was a new pilot position 
and it was working, it was basically a hybrid position between an event coordinator and a sales rep. And so after working at the General Assembly, I realized that I, I really wanted to get back into kind of the private sector and had a chance to go over there. And um, I realized, you know, once I learned that it would be me going around and talking to people and, you know, getting away from a desk and being able to drive around and learn the Raleigh area and kind of put some of my, I guess, creativity skills um, to the test. Um, I, I took that chance and it, it was a great way to kind of get the exposure to different, you know, at the time I was kind of new in Raleigh still. And so I got to know the area pretty well, got to meet a lot of different people. Um, and so I did that. Let's see, they actually, it was kind of funny. They changed the name from, Millennial Market Ambassador, Ambassador, which is of course MMA. So people got very confused when I said I'm MMA, and so they changed that to a different name. And so in total, both of those for a little bit over a year, and then I realized that I wanted to get, you know, kind of back over into um, the, the government area. And actually, that's when I realized that okay, how can I combine my passion for the private sector? with policy and politics. And that's when I decided that I wanted to try out lobbying. Interesting. So was there any skill you gained from your experience there at Anheuser-Busch? So I would say that, you know, a lot of, a lot, all of my different experiences, um, you know, with all of my jobs, I mean, even from when I was in high school, you know, doing summer jobs and then in college doing summer jobs, all of these different experiences exposed me to so many different perspectives. And I mean, not only my own perspectives, but also of those that I worked with and that I formed relationships with. And so I would say in my career, it's been so helpful to be able to view any given issue from multiple perspectives, especially to determine the best path forward on that topic. And so, you know, to me, just taking a little break from the political scene and going and, and working for Anheuser-Busch, not only gave me the perspective to the restaurant industry and working with bar managers and restaurant managers and, and seeing how the wholesale side of things work, the manufacturing side of things work. Um, but then kind of coming full circle when I was, you know, with the retail merchants and even now I'm very engaged in some of the alcohol policy and alcohol laws. And so it's kind of nice to be able to put that other hat back on and think, okay, well, you know, how, what is this perspective like? And what, have, what is this perspective like? Okay, so after your stint at Anheuser-Busch, is that when you moved on to the Associative Legislative Coordinator? Yes, so um, a wonderful woman named Connie Wilson, she is a great lobbyist, she's a former legislator. She was looking for somebody to help her out for a short session. And so I welcomed that opportunity and I did that and, you know, really learned about a lot of her clients and met a lot of lobbyists and kind of got re-engaged, so to speak, in the legislative world. And so I did that, like I said, for a short session. And after that, um, I joined the retail merchants as their assistant director of government relations. So, um, so going back to your associative legislative coordinator position, was there any specific policy or anything which you can recollect which you primarily worked on at that time? Sure. Um, so I would say one of the issues which, you know, come full circle, I'm, I'm still working on it now, 
is certificate of need laws. And that's something, you know, I, I would say, especially at the time, it was great for me to kind of get knowledge of that issue, especially now that I'm working on it again, because I kind of have that foundational knowledge of that topic. And so that's, that's one that I absolutely remember. It's, um, I would say, a fairly contentious subject. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's one that I definitely remember having worked on then as well. Okay. And after that, you, how did you apply for the Assistant Director of Government Relations at the NCRMA? So um, a colleague and a friend of mine saw the open position and she knew that, you know, that I was just going to be working with Connie for a short session. And she let me know that she saw that there was an open position with the retail merchants and I applied and, you know, got the interview and I'm still feel so fortunate to have been able to work with Andy and Elizabeth and all of the folks over at the retail merchants. So can you talk us, talk to us briefly about what does NCRMA do? Sure. So NCRMA, uh, the Retail Merchants Association, they are, a, they are an association that represents retailers. So most people would think, okay, well, the Walmarts of the world, um, they also represent the smaller mom and pop shops, you know, furniture stores, they represent pharmacies, um, you know, gas stations. It's a very diverse group of a membership. And so the policy topics that I worked on with them, I mean, they read alcohol laws, organized crime laws, laws impacting pharmacies, the list really goes on and on. Um, when I was there, I also, I acted as uh, the retail industry chair in the Business Emergency Operations Center, and so that has to do with emergency management, and so I was fortunate to work with a lot of great people in the Department of Public Safety, um, specifically in the Emergency Operations Center. So, you know, when a hurricane came or a bad snowstorm came, um, I would be kind of on the clock all day and all night just trying to make sure that everything was getting taken care of, especially logistically with the retailers to make sure that, you know, they could get into these areas that would typically be blocked off from the rest of the population to make sure that they could get the water in and and, you know, kind of the preparation work, but then also um, the work afterwards, too, while, you know, everything was kind of coming back together again and the community was being rebuilt. And how long did you work at NCRMA? For almost three years. Okay. So, so that's quite a bit of time. So can you tell us, like, you know, any big kind of policy or any kind of topics which you primarily worked on while you were there? Sure. Um, one of my favorites, uh, just because I'm, I've always been very interested in alcohol policy, and I think some of that stems from my time working for Anheuser-Busch, but uh, we worked on, on, make, on making it so that, well, you've, I'm sure you've heard of the brunch bill. I was, you know, kind of the, the, um, the bill that was, that allowed for mimosas and alcohol to be sold at restaurants before noon. On Sundays and um, what some people did not realize um, because you know the brunch bill everyone knows that it had to do with restaurants but I like to remind people that it also had to do with off-premise consumption too so the grocery stores you know the Costco's the Walmart's convenience stores so now they can also sell alcohol you know beer and wine before noon on Sundays and so that was one that I really enjoyed working on and um, you know again I represent um, another distilled 
association now. And so that, you know, I'm still really interested in alcohol policy, but that's, that's one that I think a lot of people can also appreciate and understand because a lot of, a lot of the policy that I work on, sometimes people's eyes roll in the back of their head when I try to talk to them about it. So that's one that people can really relate to, I think. So um, just as an example, as I'm a layman here. So if I own a mom and pop shop, so how, what is it that I can do to, you know, can I come to you guys or like to go to NCRMA and tell them like, you know, these are my problems. Can you help me out with it? Is that mm-hmm. how it works? Okay. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I know, you know, they do a lot of other things besides just legislative policy work. They also, and you know, again, I haven't been there in, in several years, but um, at the time they helped especially smaller companies that did not have kind of the in-house resources, they would help them with, with, you know, their marketing campaigns and social media stuff. They also have um, an insurance company within the association. And so, I mean, it's really, um, and honestly, a lot of times if, if a company would go to them and say, Hey, we have XYZ problem. Is this something that could have a legislative fix? And then as it turns out, there were so many other companies that were enduring the same exact issue. And so that was kind of a good way to identify a way that we could help these businesses. Okay. So after NCRMA, you were at the John Locke Foundation. Can you tell us uh, what does the foundation do and what were your responsibilities? Sure. Absolutely. So I worked there before the Locke Foundation merged with Civitas. That happened, gosh, I think in the last year or so. And um, at the time, and I think they still do hold this role but they were a free market economic think tank. And they really focused on policies, including healthcare, education, tax policy, and various other types of just regulations. And they really dive into these policy issues from an academic perspective and they generate reports for both the public and for lawmakers, in addition to recommendations on how to best shape those certain policies from their perspective. And so my role was the director of government relations. And so I worked with lawmakers and staff to kind of be the middleman and, um, and, and get that information to them and help explain it to them and, and generate recommendations on that end. Nice. And can you remember any interesting policies you worked? Yes. Yeah, so one of the big ones that I think is extremely relevant, just because I'm still working on it um, on behalf of one of my clients is certificate of need. This is something that has been a conversation for a long time and it continues to be a, a contentious topic, but one that still is very much in play um, at the general assembly on the, in the, and in the policy world. Uh, okay. And um, can you tell us like, you know, after the Locke foundation, um, you set up your own boutique agency. Um, can you tell us, you know, why did you set it up and, you know, what is the motive behind it? Sure. I was really interested in getting back into being able to directly lobby rather than just educate lawmakers because the way that the Locke Foundation was set up and their nonprofit status, they were not able I was not able to directly lobby, but rather just educate on certain policies and um, kind of advocate for those policies as a whole, rather than, you know, be at the table for negotiations and diving into the weeds of a policy and coming up with certain language. And so I really miss being able to do that. And so I, I wanted to get back into working with lawmakers on developing the language and either pushing 
and pursuing certain legislation or defending against it and stopping it. Of course, in addition to the consulting and the advocacy side of things and the messaging side of things. Nice. And do you see any differences between working for an association versus running your own agency? Absolutely. Working as a lobbyist for an association is it's really much different than representing a lobbyist principle of, of other types in many ways. You know, of course, you have the fundraisers and doing the pack stuff during the interim, um, I would say, in most capacities as a lobbyist. But when when working for an association, you also have the association management side. And when I was with the retail merchants, I also worked on emergency management efforts. And I worked closely with uh, the Department of Emergency Management, or excuse me, the Division of Emergency Management, which is housed under DPS. And so there were a lot of different kind of non-legislative roles that I played in the association as well. So I would say as a whole, that's the main difference. And would you advise people to pick um, either working for an association or to get started um, to go into building their own agency? Which one would you pick? Well, I think that working for an association and getting your foot in the door, you know, it depends where you are in, in the industry already. So working for an association can be a great way to learn about many types of issues and to understand the dynamic of any association, especially among the membership and to meet other people within that large group. It's also a great opportunity to organically get mentors, whether it's just within that role or once that lasts for a very long time. I was very fortunate to be able to do that within NCRMA. So I certainly think that it's a great route to go, especially you know if you're unsure where to begin or what next step to take in order to uh, progress in one's career. I think those are the set of questions I had. Um, so in closing, you can talk anything about either yourself, your agency, um, or how do you see yourself aspiring for the next couple of years? Anything goes, so the platform is open. Sure. So first of all, I was thinking about the question that you asked me if I, what I would do if I were not a lobbyist, and I've kind of been reflecting on it a little bit, and I just want to, I didn't really give a legitimate answer for that, so I just wanted to go back really quickly. Sure. Um, I've recently been able to go on a few awesome trips, both for work and with family and friends. And I've always loved exploring new places. And I'm just constantly so blown away by the incredible places in our country and really across the world that I've been able to travel to. And I know that there are so many other places that I've never been. And I think it would be cool, if not a lobbyist, to have that opportunity to kind of be led to more of these areas as a career whether it's, you know, as a photographer to try to capture them and share them with the world. Um, or, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of other capacities that one could have in order to do that, but very different than lobbying, but definitely something that kind of encompasses another passion of mine. And in terms of the future of my firm, uh, I'm just generally excited about continuing to represent my clients and their best interests. And of course, to keep helping them operate and grow in the state and I definitely look forward to future opportunities to help other companies and entities and industries thrive in North Carolina. Perfect. That's a very good ending to this podcast. Uh, keep inspiring us, Lexi. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Deepak. Hope you enjoyed Lexi's journey. As always, thank you for listening. 
Keep inspiring and educating the public the importance of government relations through your support of this podcast. Until next time, take care.